0: In this episode of Flying Smarter, I'm talking about the Airbus A380 Super Jumbo and how it changed the air travel industry. But first, I'm going to look at what it means if you get the dreaded SSSS code printed on your boarding pass. Welcome to episode 26 of Flying Smarter the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel to help you become a smarter and savvier traveler. Let's get started. What does it mean if I have SSSS printed on my boarding pass? If you're traveling from a US airport, there's a chance that you'll have a dreaded four-letter combination printed on your boarding pass. SSSS. It stands for Secondary Security Screening Selection, and it means that the Transportation Security Administration, or TSA, has selected you for extra enhanced security screening. If you end up being subjected to this enhanced screening, the process can vary from case to case, but it typically involves things like a full-body pat-down, being swabbed for explosives, and a very extensive bag search. Passengers who've experienced these searches report every item in their bag being handled and being asked to turn on electronic devices to make sure that they do turn on and are genuine devices. Reports from passengers indicate that the process can take anywhere from 5 to 30 minutes. The TSA is quite vague about how people get selected, but it appears that there are a few different ways to get the SSS code on your boarding pass. Firstly, certain activities that are deemed potentially suspicious, like traveling to countries deemed high risk, booking one-way tickets, or purchasing tickets with cash, may land you with the enhanced screening. It also appears that there are certain ways to end up on some sort of list that leads you to getting the SSSS code. And finally, it seems like some travelers simply get it randomly. There isn't really any way to know that you're going to get the SSSS code on your boarding pass, but one potential hint is that you generally won't be able to print your own boarding pass at home or receive a mobile boarding pass. Instead, you'll be asked to get one at the airport, and only then will you see the code. The other thing to note is that the SSSS code supersedes any sort of expedited TSA security screening that you might otherwise have access to, such as TSA pre-check. Considering that you won't really know if you have the SSSS code until you see it on your boarding pass at the airport, combined with the fact that it can delay your travel experience, make sure that you arrive early enough for your flight and leave enough buffer room in case you run into delays at security. Did you know that you can submit questions for the first part of Flying Smarter episodes? If you have a question that you want to be answered on the podcast, get in touch on social media. There are links in the episode description or visit flyingsmarter.com forward slash contact. From there, you can send a message or even record your question. The Airbus A380. It's a majestic beast of an aircraft. It created a new category of airplane. And it shows how far we've come in aviation. It's a true engineering marvel that's brought a distinct mammoth aircraft to airports all around the world. Who would have thought that barely a hundred years after humans first took flight that we would have a full-length double-deck airliner taking flight? a 600-ton, human-made object defying the laws of gravity and taking flight. The Airbus A380 brought about things that we had never seen before in air travel. Long-haul flights taking off with over 600 passengers on board, showers on commercial flights, airport gates that needed to be modified to accommodate the new super jumbo jet, and much more. The A380 was truly a game-changer. And though development of the plane took nearly two decades, its downfall came in much less time. In today's main segment, I'm going to share the story of the Airbus A380, going over how it brought wonder and new possibilities, what it meant for passengers, how its production came to an abrupt but somewhat predictable end, and how you can fly on an Airbus A380 today. In 1990, Airbus announced that it would be developing a high-capacity aircraft, in part to compete with the double-decker Boeing 747 which had dominated the high-capacity market since its launch two decades prior. The Boeing 747 had made some very significant changes to the air travel industry. It was the world's largest passenger jet at the time and was nicknamed the Jumbo Jet. It allowed airlines to offer lower fares, due to the large number of seats as well as increased onboard amenities because of the additional space on the plane. So Airbus decided to enter the high capacity market with an even larger aircraft following the success of the Boeing 747. Although Airbus and Boeing initially began a feasibility study together in an effort to share the limited market, This was later abandoned and Airbus announced that it would be developing its own large airliner in 1994, initially dubbed the A3XX. As the concept was further developed, Airbus settled on a full double-decker design in contrast to the Boeing 747's upper deck on the front portion of the aircraft only. In December of 2000, Airbus launched a 10.7 billion US dollar project to build the A3XX, now redesignated as the A380. The double-deck aircraft design was finalized in early 2001, and manufacturing began a year later. The December 2000 project launch came as the airline had 50 orders from 6 customers: Emirates, Air France, Singapore Airlines, Qantas, Virgin Atlantic, and International Lease Finance Corporation, an aircraft leasing company. The first Airbus A380 was unveiled at Airbus's facility in Toulouse, France on January 18, 2005, and the prototype made its first flight a few months later on April 27. Throughout the rest of the year and into 2006, Airbus continued testing on the A380 including high-altitude testing in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia and cold weather testing in Iqaluit in the Canadian territory of Nunavut. On January 10, 2006, the A380 flew its first transatlantic flight to Colombia. On March 26, 2006, the A380 completed its evacuation certification with some pretty remarkable results. With half of the exits randomly blocked, 853 passengers and 20 crew members exited a darkened aircraft in 78 seconds, paving the way for European and American authorities to approve the aircraft to carry up to 853 passengers. Things did not go smoothly going forward though, and the A380 saw numerous production and delivery delays. Between June 2005 and October 2006, Airbus announced delays in A380 initial deliveries three different times, causing an increasing decline in stakeholder and shareholder confidence. Although Airbus only ever produced one variant of the A380, the A380-800, there was actually a second variant initially planned, the A380 Freighter. However, as delays mounted during production and development, Airbus focused its work on the passenger variant. As a result, freighter orders from FedEx and UPS were cancelled, and the cargo version was never built. The first A380 delivery finally occurred on October 15, 2007, when Singapore Airlines received the first aircraft in its A380 order. The plane entered service 10 days later on October 25, 2007, flying Singapore Airlines Flight 380 from Singapore to Sydney. Emirates and Qantas received their first A380s the following year, and launched flights between Dubai and New York for Emirates, and between Melbourne and Los Angeles for Qantas. Because of the Airbus A380's size and passenger capacity, airports had to make some changes to accommodate the super jumbo. Many airports had to modify existing wide-body gates to accommodate the A380 which is around 30% larger than the next biggest passenger aircraft, the Boeing 747-400. Airports also built special gates with three jet bridges for the A380, including one that connected to the upper deck. This was also a new concept as all passengers boarded and deplaned from the lower deck on the Boeing 747. In terms of ground handling equipment, the A380 required service vehicles like catering trucks that could reach the upper deck. When your flight backs out from the gate, it's actually being pushed by a vehicle called a pushback tug or a tractor. The A380 required tugs that could handle the plane's significant weight. Also, the A380's outside engines were farther out from the center line of taxiways than those of the 747. As such, it required a certain taxiway width to prevent foreign objects from entering the engines and to avoid damage to airport infrastructure like lighting and signage. Despite the heavier weight though, runways generally did not need to be reinforced because the weight was distributed on more wheels than on any other passenger aircraft. Similarly, because of the extra engine power, the A380 did not require a longer runway than other wide-body planes. The A380 technically has a maximum capacity of 853 passengers, but no airline has ever configured its planes with anything close to that many seats. A380 configurations range from Korean Air's 399-seat A380s to the 615 seats found on some of Emirates' A380s. The A380 has 5,920 square feet of usable floor space, nearly twice that of the average single-family home in the United States. Airbus widely promoted the comfort, space, and flexibility of the A380 cabin, and both the company and its customer airlines have indeed made unique strides to improve the passenger experience for those traveling on the A380. In comparison to its closest competitor, the very successful Boeing 747-400, the Airbus A380 has half the amount of cabin noise, twice as much cabin space, as well as larger windows and overhead bins. The main deck is the widest of any airliner out there, allowing for economy class seats with above average seat width the A380 also boasts 15 different temperature control zones throughout the cabin with the lowest number of passengers per zone of any aircraft on the market. In addition to the quieter interior, the A380's pressurization system also helps contribute to passenger comfort. I've talked about pressurization before in past episodes, but for those of you who aren't aware or need a refresher. Aircraft are pressurized at high altitudes so that passengers can function and breathe safely. The amount of air pressure acting on us decreases as we get higher and higher in the sky, and you might notice these changes when you're on a plane or when you're on an elevator and your ears pop. The air molecules are spread further apart and we breathe in less oxygen. Starting at around 15,000 feet, there's no longer enough oxygen in the air for a human being airliners have pressurization systems that basically constantly pump clean air into the cabin to control the pressure there are outflow valves that let the air out the pressurization system is why you can't open a door in flight and why the air in a plane cabin gets changed every few minutes planes are generally pressurized so the cabin has an internal pressure equivalent of around 8,000 feet That means that even if you're cruising at 36,000 feet, it feels as if you were at 8,000 feet when you're inside the cabin, which is perfectly safe for humans. The A380, however, has an internal cabin pressure equivalent to what you would feel at around 6,000 feet. This leads to passengers being significantly more comfortable as they are in an environment that more closely resembles to what they would feel on the ground the difference here can help reduce things like aches, fatigue, headaches, and it improves the flying experience overall. We'll be back after a quick break. Join pilot and adventurer Fernando Pino as he takes you on journeys to discover exciting destinations across the UK and Europe. You'll fly with him to hidden gems and experience local culture, from bustling streets to serene hideaways and the best places to eat, sleep, and play. Travel Plans is more than a podcast. It's your ticket to exploring the world and its history with a friend. In this episode, we are flying to discover a beachside paradise perfect for the whole family. Discover golden sands, activities galore, and even free childcare so you get your own break too. Why am I still here? The A380 has also paved the way for some pretty unique passenger experiences. Emirates and Etihad Airways have installed onboard bars for business class passengers. Qantas installed a lounge area, and Air France unveiled an onboard electronic art gallery. Korean Air put a physical duty-free shop on board. Singapore Airlines has recently introduced a new first-class product on its A380s, which basically looked like a small room with a bed and a recliner seat in it. I think one of the most luxurious A380 products created, though, was Etihad Airways' residence. Each of its A380s has one of these and is essentially a three-room suite with a main sitting area, a bathroom with a shower, and a bedroom. It comes with a personal butler, and of course, an exorbitant price tag. Perhaps one of the most famous A380 innovations is Emirates' onboard shower, which allows first-class passengers to take a shower during their flight. First-class passengers can reserve a shower slot during the flight in one of the aircraft's two onboard shower suites, which feature a toilet, a sink, an enclosed shower, and even heated floors. Passengers get 30 minutes in the shower suite, although they only get 5 minutes of running water in the shower. There's even a timer in the shower to help passengers see how much time they have remaining. If you're fortunate enough to have this experience and feel that 5 minutes isn't very long, the good news is that you can turn the water on and off during the shower, and 5 minutes only counts when the water is running. I haven't tried it myself, but I've heard that the whole experience is pretty impressive. A380 orders remained relatively steady throughout the late 2000s and early 2010s. On November 4th, 2010, an Airbus A380 operating Qantas Flight 32 took off from Singapore Changi Airport. Four minutes after takeoff, the plane suffered an uncontained engine failure in one of its four engines. The plane successfully made an emergency landing back in Singapore, but the incident led to Qantas and Singapore Airlines to temporarily ground their A380 fleets. Tiny cracks were discovered in the wings, which led to Airbus strengthening certain wing parts for existing aircraft and using a new material for some parts on newer aircraft. On top of this, Airbus was not getting as many orders for the A380 as it would have liked, and it was becoming increasingly likely that the A380 would never become a profitable venture. Airbus scored a win in 2013 when the largest A380 customer, Dubai-based Emirates, placed an order for 50 additional aircraft. However, the orders began drying up from there, and in July 2016, Airbus announced that it was cutting its production rate for the A380 by more than 50%. In February 2019, Airbus announced that it would end A380 production by 2021 after Emirates dropped an order for 39 A380s. Airbus was losing money on each A380 produced and it simply did not make financial sense to continue producing the aircraft. The last A380 was delivered to Emirates on December sixteenth, two thousand and twenty-one. Interestingly, no U.S. carrier has ever ordered the passenger variant of the A380. It may seem surprising that some of the world's largest airlines in one of the world's largest aviation markets didn't order the super jumbo, but there are a number of reasons why this is the case. A common complaint among airlines was that it was too hard to fill the A380, and an American Airlines executive once basically straight up said that the A380 was too big for their network. The A380 has been successful for airlines that have a single hub where lots of passengers connect through. Emirates has perhaps been the most successful with this model, funneling passengers through its massive hub in Dubai. Singapore Airlines and British Airways have also had success with this model at their bases in Singapore and London Heathrow, respectively. The major US carriers each have multiple hubs spread across the country, and there simply isn't a high enough concentration of passengers at any of these airports going to a single destination. On top of that, airlines in the US had started moving towards smaller aircraft. And this trend has been seen in other parts of the world as well and I'll discuss it more in a bit. So why was the A380's production run so short lived? Why did Airbus never manage to recoup what turned out to be a 25 billion US dollar investment into the project? There are a number of reasons that I'll go into but the overarching theme is that times were changing. In the latter part of the 20th century, Boeing was doing very well with its Boeing 747s, but as development and production of the A380 began, demand for very large aircraft was starting to decline. On top of that, engines were becoming more and more efficient. Fuel efficiency is massive in the aviation world, and fuel costs are one of the biggest operating costs for airlines. The Boeing 787, which was launched in 2003 and entered service in 2011, had engines with 12% better fuel efficiency than those of the A380, a massive improvement. Airbus's own A350s also had significantly more efficient engines. The other thing is that airlines began placing less of a focus on the traditional hub and spoke model. A hub and spoke network is one where airlines have one or more major hubs where passengers connect through. This allows airlines to offer itineraries between many destinations by using connections at the hubs. However, passengers obviously prefer direct flights, and airlines have moved towards more direct long-haul flights. In the past, only large aircraft like the Boeing 747 had the fuel capacity to cross the Atlantic or the Pacific, but now there are lots of smaller planes that can fly long distances. Airlines began to realize that these smaller planes had similar unit costs as the A380, but with less seats, there was less risk of not being able to fill the plane. Although production of the A380 has ended, it is still in service with a number of airlines around the world and will likely continue to fly for years to come. I'll briefly go through the current status of A380 operations around the world to give you an idea of where you can fly on one or where you can see one, and I'll try to update this section in the future if there are significant changes. As of the time of publication of this episode, in early January 2023, there are 8 airlines currently operating the Airbus A380, down from 14 airlines before the COVID-19 pandemic. On top of the 8 current operators, there are an additional 2 airlines that have plans to reactivate their parked A380s. Emirates is the world's largest operator of A380s with over 100 of the aircraft in its fleet, though about a quarter of them are currently stored. Emirates flies its massive A380 fleet to destinations all around the globe. Singapore Airlines currently flies its A380s between Singapore and the following destinations. Sydney, Hong Kong, Mumbai, London Heathrow, Frankfurt, and New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport, although it plans to withdraw the A380 from its JFK flights in May of 2023. Qantas currently operates A380s on flights from Sydney to London Heathrow via Singapore and on some of its flights between Sydney and Los Angeles. Tokyo-based All-Nippon Airways ordered 3 Airbus A380s to fly on the high-demand Tokyo Narita to Honolulu route and continues to do so today. Korean carrier Asiana Airlines operates A380s on flights from Seoul in South Korea to Bangkok and Los Angeles. Korean Air is flying A380s from Seoul to Bangkok and New York's JFK Airport. Qatar Airways currently flies its A380s between Doha and four destinations, Bangkok, London Heathrow, Sydney, and Perth. British Airways has its A380s operating on flights between its hub at London in Heathrow and Dubai, Johannesburg, Doha, as well as a number of cities in the United States, including Boston, Chicago, Dallas, Los Angeles, Miami, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C. Lufthansa and Etihad Airways are the two airlines that are planning to reactivate some of their A380s in the summer of 2023. The former A380 operators that have dropped the aircraft from their fleet during the pandemic are Air France, China Southern Airlines, Malaysia Airlines, and Thai Airways International. Despite it being a business failure, the A380 has made a significant ongoing impact on the world of air travel. It's pushed the limits of what's possible and it's created a new category. I've been fortunate enough to have flown on an A380 a few times and when I was on board I would walk around the cabin during the flight and think of how massive it was while being reminded that the whole thing was flying in the air. The A380 is truly an engineering marvel and will continue to jet massive loads of passengers around the world for years to come. be sure to follow or subscribe to Flying Smarter on your podcast platform so that you get new episodes right when they're released. That brings us to the end of this episode of Flying Smarter. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.